Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be previewing Friday night's game against Wolverhampton Wanderers at the Cottage. Can we make it three wins in a row? We'll also be doing the final word from Saturday's late win against Brighton, getting the thoughts of Peter and Jack on that. Plus... Europe. Can Fulham make it? Is it just a pipe dream or is it really on? Incredible that we're asking this question. We would have absolutely snapped your hand off for this back in August, wouldn't we? Uh, And speaking of them, I'm joined by the regular Thursday club today. Jack Collins, hello. Hello, Sammy. How are you doing? Good, thank you. And Peter Rutzler, hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Jack. Jack, looking very happy today. Had a nice trip, didn't you, Jack? Yeah, I got away. Got away. I went to Iceland. Last week, we talked about the fact that I had no idea where I was going. Uh, And I rocked up at the airport on Friday morning and found out I was on my way to Reykjavik, which was pretty sensational. The only downside of being surprised by a trip to Reykjavik is that I wasn't properly prepared. Like, Lucy had packed some, I obviously brought my coat, and she packed like an extra couple of jumpers and, and, that kind of thing, a hat and some gloves and whatever, but no shoes. And so all I'd brought with me was a pair of battered old Stan Smiths and then a nice pair of shoes for going out for dinner. And so when we went wandering around Iceland on various days and the ice rinks uh, of Reykjavik, it was a, it was a slippery and sidey experience, but you know what? I got away with it. I didn't stack it any day when I was over there. So the real winners out of this are Adidas, I suppose. Stan Smiths for the win. <laughs> I mean, I've never had that where I've like turned up. So, so did you find out at the airport? At the gate, yeah. At the gate. At the gate. That That's cool. incredible. She managed to keep it from you for that long. I never forget when I had a um, surprise stag do. I didn't know where my stag do was. And uh, <laughs> the uh, the two best men that I had had been keeping it under wraps quite well, to be fair. I had no idea. I knew it was the UK. That's all I knew. And they were joking about whether I was going up north, up to yeah, we, Scotland, we up kept, to Wales. We kept telling you you were going to Burnley, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. And then um, we got in the car to go there and they were like, oh, are you, uh, are you trying to work out where we're going then, Sammy? Have you had any ideas? Well, I was like, well, you've put Bournemouth in the sat-nav, so I've got a fair <laughs> idea. <laughs> to be fair, getting in the car on the day of is not too bad. That's okay. I know, but it was the way they thought that they still had, a, uh, they managed to keep it a secret, despite it being on a big screen in the middle of the dashboard. <laughs> I was like, got an idea. Um, Peter, have you ever done a surprise holiday or surprise trip anywhere where you've, you've not known the destination? No, I haven't. I haven't. I'd, I'd like that to happen, though. Maybe I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll make a suggested comment to the other half to see if, see, see if she can arrange it. But um, no, I haven't. It does sound fun. Although I find it quite stressful. I'm, I'm an organized person. I think, yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't know how I'd cope with that kind of, uh, kind of shock. I've always wanted to do that Soccer Saturday drinking game where you... Um wait and see where the first goal scored in the, uh, in the, <laughs> EFA, in the football league. And then you go for a night out in, in that town 
that's that's what I've always wanted to do is a bit of a where's the night going to end. We did that in Durham once, but we kind of yeah we we had a kind of a kind of well I suppose limitation on it. But like you have to, there's not great amounts of places you can get from Durham, so we had to be like we'll, we'll go to the first place that scores a goal that's plausible from Durham. Thankfully, Carlisle went one 0 up within a minute, so off we off we chopped ah. That is quite fortunate because if it was Exeter or something, that wouldn't have been very far. We just wouldn't have got. <laughs> we would have waited oh, right, for the next okay. one and be like, right, let's find it until it's a reasonable moment. But yeah, it was lots of fun. We had a good time. Right. Let's get on to the final word from Saturday's win uh, against Brighton. Jack, I know you won't have seen an awful lot, but uh, Peter, you were there. Um, what, a, what an incredible afternoon. Brighton were phenomenal for such large spells um and then for Fulham to win it in the 88th minute like that it felt like a seismic moment I think I thought it was just going to be heading for a nil-nil draw uh, a valiant point um but then to nick it like that it was sensational for us um in the away end what was it like for you in the press box uh, I actually, when Solomon scored, I burst out laughing. I don't know if Andy Naylor, my, my Brighton colleague, appreciated that, but it was very, very funny. Um, it did feel like, you know, the Brighton of old, didn't it? That's, you know, the Brighton that play lovely football in between both boxes. And then once they get near the goal, things tend to fall apart a little bit. Um, but from a, from a Fulham perspective, you could see that the, the tactical plan for the day hadn't really worked. Um, that Brighton were completely on top of the game, creating loads of chances. Um, but they just managed to stay in there, stay in the contest, give yourself a chance. And that's that's the beauty of the game, isn't it? That when they are tight matches or uh, fine margins, as they say, you're you're able to swing things. And, and, and Manor Solomon did that with a, such a fantastic finish. And I really, in a game that lacked that kind of cutting edge quality, Fulham really displayed that through Solomon's finish. And um, yeah, I could see the the away end enjoyed that a lot uh, continuously from that moment on until till they all scuffed off to the uh, to the to the trains and home. So um, no, it, I, in terms of result, it was absolutely massive. Um, probably the kind of result that can really galvanise a group. You know, I think we talked about that a bit in the championship last year with those gritty wins, those gritty one nil wins. Of course, they probably weren't as uh, smash and grab as as this one, but. They, they are savoured a lot, you know, when you can pick up a win when you're not at your best. It shows that the underlying qualities of the team are strong and um, it's, it's, it feels like a bonus three points. But of course, it's when you think about the moments that have gone against Fulham this year with those late goals, it's, you know, it's, it's overdue. It's deserved. So, um, yeah, a really, really good result. I mean, Jack, it felt like a statement win. Like whether it matters in the big scheme at the end of the season remains to be seen. But going to arguably one of the toughest grounds to go to in the country right now, certainly. Brighton away is a game that any team in this league would be delighted to win. If Arsenal, when Arsenal got their win at Brighton a few weeks ago, they were absolutely over the moon. I'm sure Man City would be very happy to get a win at the Amex and certainly wouldn't take it for granted. So for Fulham to go there and get a win really is a statement of intent for me. Yeah, I completely agree. And and look, I delve back in on, on Peter's point there. It's those kind of results where you feel like the occasional game this season has gone against Fulham, especially in games where we've acquitted ourselves really well. The Manchester United game, the Man City game, those results going against Fulham, they're not hammer blows because it's Manchester United and Manchester City, but they do feel like the kind of ones where you're like, ah, it's come to the end and we it's it's just 
been taken away from us right right at the death. Off the back of that, and look, we talked about this a little bit on on last week's podcast. Fulham went there and were stout and defensive in the same way that we were against Newcastle United. And we would have been good value for a point against Newcastle. Now, I thought Brighton were probably better on Saturday than Newcastle were when we went up to St. James's Park. But, you know, when you don't take those chances, there are elements of of getting punished. And without going into every single cliche that football has to offer, you know, these are games, as you say, that feel like big moments, not only in terms of making sure that the momentum doesn't die. And I, and I think this is a massive thing with, with Fulham at the moment. You know, we talked about the fact that if we can get to the start of April, playing like we are, and we're still in this conversation for a European spot, then why not? Because the March fixtures are, are, are tricky. But there was also this kind of lingering feeling, not I think that relegation was still seriously on the cards, but that we could be dragged back a little bit uncomfortably into a mix that we just didn't want anything to do with. And when you look at the fact that the table has, what, Crystal Palace in 12th, who are six points clear of the relegation zone, you want nothing to do with that. Like absolutely nothing at all. And when you kind of look at these games, you go, okay, Fulham have had a tricky little run of fixtures through January. We spoke about the fact that the Newcastle game, the Tottenham game, the two Chelsea games. Then that win against Forest, and now the win against Brighton, and you go, right, okay, bad, tricky patch over. And it gives you breathing space going into the games, you know, the Brentford game, the Arsenal game, the Liverpool game, which are all tricky fixtures for various reasons. Um, but when you're looking at all these kind of different elements of, of how things play out, I think wins like this are just the ones that you go, right, we can keep motoring, we can keep the points tally ticking over. And it, you go into Wolves now on, on Friday thinking, yeah, why not? There's no reason we can't beat Wolves. And look, we'll talk about that in, in greater detail later on in the pod. But I just think that these are the moments that you look at within the squad and you'd be like, Fulham can do lots of different things really well. We're really re- we're really resilient when it comes to these away games where we know we're going to be under the cosh. Fulham had what, 33% possession? It was, Brian had the ball. It was one of those games. And for a side last year who was so ball dominant, and this is something we've struggled with, I think, in the other times that Fulham have been promoted, in a side that's so ball dominant under Slavisa Jokanovic, really struggled with the idea of becoming not ball dominant in the Premier League. They didn't know how to adapt to that situation, how to make it stick in the Premier League. Scott Parker tried a different approach, which was to basically be incredibly negative. That didn't work either. What Marco Silva has done and what's so special, I think, about this campaign is he's transitioned a side that was so comfortable with the ball last year and so comfortable being the potent attacking force, the side that we're going to take the game to anyone who are quite content in some ways to soak up pressure, to defend stoutly, to put bodies on the line and still have the attacking thrust to be able to get out of there on the counterattack. And that is a remarkable turnaround. Yeah, I fully agree with that. Cause, and, and we saw Marco sowing the seeds of that last year where he didn't always play the same way and he was happy to go into some games, more difficult games, particularly away games, and put in, I think, the kind of early feelers of tr- how to also play football without the ball. And whilst obviously it was difficult to do that sometimes against championship opposition because in every game we were the better, more dominant team. Naturally, we did find moments last year where I think Marco kind of sowed the seeds of the tactic that we saw absolutely blossom on Saturday. Um, This one from Jonathan Barnes on email. Jack, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Peter as well. You love to see it. He sent this, by the way, at 20 past midnight on Sunday. Nice. So I think we can guess um, 
where this email's coming from. Um, and he even says in the title, I've had a few beers. Um, so kind of take that into account. He says, you love to see it, chaps. A quick one, though. Defensively, I thought we were great. The offside trap was largely good and Leno had some great awareness, but didn't have to make too many wonder saves. Attacking wise, we didn't offer too much until it mattered. Is there a phrase for great defensively clinical attacking, which is smash and grabs cousin? Or have I had some beers? I'm in delirium and sweating the small stuff. It's most probably the latter. Great stuff as per usual and come on you whites. So I guess what Jonathan's saying is there is there an alternative phrase to smash and grab that maybe suits the game and the situation better? Because whilst it probably was a classic smash and grab, Peter, I think he has a point that Brighton did not have 15 shots saved off the line and Leno did not have to make 10 million wonder saves. It kind of felt like it was almost planned to a point. Uh, I kind of disagree. Uh, The reason I disagree is that, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not like Fulham was scrambling and Leno had to make wonder save after wonder save. But the reason he didn't have to make wonder save after wonder save is because Brighton's finishing was just abject and terrible. Um, they had pretty good openings. Dunk had a great header from about six yards off target. Undev had a header, similar sort of, uh, well, less than that, but a few yards out, again, missed the target. And then every time they did get a sort of opening, they seemed to fire off a tepid shot that was quite comfortable for Leno. I think there were a couple of times Leno's come out and sweeped really well. There was one on Ferguson, which was excellent. Um, but I, I really think this, this, this was a, a classic smash and grab, like, Brighton controlled all areas of the game and the only thing they lacked was just the ability to hit the target and make like life difficult for Fulham's keeper. Um, they, I was trying to think of a phrase for that because I, I, I really get what you're saying. Um, all I could think of was the word ruthless, but I can't, that's not a phrase. That's just a statement of what, what it was. No, I can't, I can't think of one, but I, I kind of, I kind of get where he's coming from. Um, but that's not to say Fulham defensively weren't great. You know, Marco Silva said they were resilient and I think that's, that's a fair way of describing it because I think it was also a, a mental resilience as, as, as well as it being just a, a tactical thing or, or, or defending well. It's staying in the game, believing you're going to win because there were periods in that second half where Brighton were just throwing wave after wave of attack. Fulham were not retaining the ball whatsoever. They had no outlet. Um, it, it just felt like, well, when are they going to score? you know. And then I think when Vinicius came on, it just began to turn the tide a little bit. And then... I mean, he struggled a bit, but then he had those two moments where he held the ball up and got it right. And then from one of them, Fulham scored. Um, so just being able to stay in that game mentally, to take the opportunity when it comes. Tim Ream playing that pass into Vinicius. It's an unbelievable line-breaking pass. Opens up the space for him, plays it off, and it, Solomon's in and scores. So, um, But yeah, sorry, that was a long answer to a question that I don't actually know the answer to. So apologies. <laughs> I, think, I think it's probably, I would say, a perfectly executed counterpunch. It is probably the way that the word that the, the kind of phrase that's been looked for here, although I do agree with Peter that I'm not 100% sure that's a particularly fair assessment of the game, even if Fulham did defend well. It reminds me of a thing. Now, I'm going to go a little bit off track here for a second, but bear with me. In Black Panther, when they develop the armour, the armour soaks up the kinetic energy of being hit and then uses it to provide thrust for an for an attacking force that's that's i imagine the best exam metaphor i suppose for for what is trying to be said here although i don't think it's completely as you say completely fair i mean it works it kind of works i guess yeah 
I guess maybe the part was is like your classic smash and grab I imagine is when it's 19th versus second in the league and one team is absolutely terrible and through complete bad finishing bad and complete luck manages to stay in the game then nicks it whereas it just didn't quite fit that mold for me for me I felt like there was more there was more method to the madness yes we got a bit lucky there was a bit of poor finishing but it didn't strike to me as just like wow we've absolutely done a job on you today that was I guess my thinking I'm, I'm kind of with Jonathan and his um, 20 past midnight slightly on the beers thinking maybe that's just generally my thinking at all times um Peter, your article that came out on Monday was with Andy Naylor, uh, who is the Brighton correspondent for The Athletic. I really enjoyed this one. And it was looking at the the realistic possibility of either side qualifying for Europe. And it's been a seismic season for both. I didn't realise the Brighton fans were also singing we're all going on a European tour, but I don't know why I'd be surprised that they are considering the kind of season that they're having. And the general conclusion was, Whilst there's a long way to go and it's not nailed on by any possibility, why not dream that both clubs are in a fantastic position to achieve that should, you know, they continue this form all the way to the end of the season, which obviously isn't a given. Yeah, I I mean, when considering doing this piece and, and writing it, it did feel strange putting Fulham alongside Brighton, just on the basis that Brighton, of course, have been in the Premier League for six consecutive seasons now. Um they, it feels like a, a natural progression for them to, to to get into Europe and their performances merit that. But when you see the way Fulham have played and the fact that they then went to Brighton and, and won, there's no doubt that Fulham are certainly in that picture. And, and as you say, why not? And I, I think we've said this before, but at the halfway stage, Fulham did enough. And if you repeat that again in part two, you will, you will be able to qualify for, for Europe. So... Um, it was interesting just assessing where the two teams are at. Of course, Brighton have that Premier League um, recent history and uh, have had that period of stability growing into this position. Um, but of course, Fulham have actually been into Europe and will know how to manage that scenario um, and perhaps a little bit better. Now, the, the club, the two teams are in, in completely different positions in terms of their squads. You know, Fulham have still have question marks anyway coming into the summer. You know, there are players who are on loan, there are players with contracts up um, and Fulham will need depth. Um, they, they, they have good, they've improved the depth I and mean, we talked about what they did in January. Um, but again, you know, for a newly promoted team, there's only so much you can sort of expect at this point. Um, so if they were to do it, there would be, they would, they would need to do a fair bit, but that's certainly something that, you know, will be embraced because Fulham know the value of, of, of being in Europe and the memories it, it can create. So, um, yeah, it still feels weird even contemplating it, but this, this is where we are. You know, that's how, that's the level Fulham are at. And, um, these are the conversations that need to be had. Yeah. Although Peter, I have got a bone to pick with you that in your article today, uh, your second to last paragraph starts off with in that context, romantic talk of the champions league, even with Fulham only four points off Tottenham in fourth still feels far fetched. How dare you? How dare you? I felt like a personal attack after what I said. No, on it, Sunday. Wasn't personal. it was a it personal was, attack. Stop saying silly stuff. Okay, <laughs> We're in the race. That's all I said. Yes. Hey, all I said, you know, you, in you, the race. You, 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 any team's in the race while it's mathematically doable. Um, yeah. I don't think Fulham will qualify for the Champions League and I don't no, think they're even not. remotely close to it. But um, well, they are remotely close to it. That's not true. They are close to it. But um, 
I think I think Europe is a is a realistic thing now, which is still seems crazy, and it's still there's still a long way to go, and we forget that the teams around Fulham have games in hand. Um, no, I mean that's not to say that the teams around Fulham have been consistent. I'm talking about Liverpool and Chelsea here, not not Brighton, who have been very consistent. Um, so let's see, let's see what what could happen. But um, yeah, I, I'm not so sure about the Champions League myself. Not so sure. What, um, who, Jack, who were the last team before Wolves to get promoted and get into Europe in the following year? Ipswich? Yeah, hang on. Well done. It, it was in today's piece. So oh, okay. All right, right, fair. I haven't read it yet. I did, though, watch a, <laughs> watch a film at midnight last <laughs> night about the East Anglian derby. So I was like, oh, well, interesting. Uh, while, <laughs> while we're talking about these things. But Fulham's and points we- per game at this point is, is you know, not far off what, uh, Ipswich were at. In fact, I think it's it's fifth. I think we put in in the table in the piece uh, that went out this morning. Um, so they're in that 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 remit. I think in among the top eight, I think only Leeds didn't finish in the top seven with Fulham's current point per game or around their points per game, which is one point six. So um, yeah, I mean that's of teams who have just come out of the championship, newly promoted teams. Um, yeah, it's so, a very uh, yeah, interesting impressive. table. And this is your article that came out today, which it was kind of similar to your article at the weekend talking about Europe, but was more Fulham specific. And I think rightly, Peter, you, you, you caveated it by saying Fulham are safe. What's next? Because whilst all seasons we've been like, oh, well, it feels like we're not going to go down. But I think you are right at 38 points with this many games to go, 14 matches to go we need two points more to get to the 40 point mark. Like we are safe. It's not cursing it. And and also it's just about pointing out that it's an absolutely ridiculous achievement to be safe before the end of winter. Like that's just ridiculous for a team that's just come out of the championship in an era where you've got Chelsea spending half a billion quid and you look at the teams in the bottom half of the table and their expenditures and their squads, like it shouldn't be overlooked just how impressive what Fulham have done so far, Um, which I think is important to, to stress. But yeah, the uh, table of best newly promoted teams, which you worked on a points per game basis so that it, so Fulham's achievement now could be measured with um, those clubs, especially some teams that did it in a 42 game uh, top flight season. But yeah, Newcastle in 94, the best ever newly promoted team in the Premier League era um, with 1.8 points uh, a game. Um, they got 77 points in the end in a 42 game uh, season. Ipswich, as we mentioned, 2001 had 1.7, Blackburn had 1.7, Forest in 95 had 1.8. And then yeah, Fulham there in fifth place, 1.6 points a game. Uh, the same that Leeds had a couple of years ago um, in the end. And then also uh, Sunderland in 2000 and Wolves in 2019. Also worthy contenders into this uh, into this table of how well Fulham are doing amongst kind of like the history of doing well promoted sides um it's it's simply an incredible achievement but for marco i mean jack where do you stand now that now we can be sure with premier league football next year where do you stand on you know what i guess we've kind of had this conversation but it's i mean now after the weekend has anything changed for you of what you actually want fulham to achieve no i i think it's one of those ones where obviously the europa league gave us our greatest ever kind of run in the modern era at the very least but I think it would be a genuine and obviously you have to aim to finish as as high as you can but I think Fulham could give the conference league a real go like especially you know as you you get to these stages and we're watching the the kind of playoff rounds of the Europa Conference League at the moment obviously something I, I hold very dear to my heart but in terms of where 
where these clubs are in, in the playoff round, you look at most of them this season, and obviously you'd hope that Fulham, if they were to get there, would win the group and therefore not play in this round. But, you know, you're talking Carabag, Ghent, Braga and Fiorentina, both good sides, fine. But Trabzonspor, Basel, Bader Glimp, Lech Poznan, Sheriff, Partizan Belgrade, Larnaca, Pro, Lazio, the only one there that you go, Lazio, maybe Braga and Fiorentina, the only ones you look at. And Braga were absolutely hammered in this competition last week. So you go, well, Fulham right now, I think, would beat pretty much all of these teams. And that's a pretty cool place to be. Whereas I think you look at the Europa League playoff round and that's a slightly different kettle of fish in many ways. You know, it's your Barcelona's and Manchester United's, et cetera, et cetera. So I actually think that a conference league run would be a really quite cool thing for Fulham because one, it's a competition in its infancy. You look back and obviously Fulham's run in the Europa League was the first ever season of it being the Europa League in that kind of branding and that kind of format. And then you look at this and what would be in the third season of the Europa Conference League next season, you know, it's starting to gain some legs. And look, remember when Fulham got to the Europa League final, there was still a lot of kind of, oh, it's the Europa League about the competition. It was still, a, it was still not by Fulham fans, obviously, but generally I think it took about six, seven years for the Europa League to regain the prestige that it maybe had when it was the UEFA Cup. And I think it's going to take a while for the Conference League to get the grounding that it, it does. You know, we've already seen this season, Lazio are playing in it. At the start of the season, Lazio's chairman came out and said, well, Rome won the Conference League. We wouldn't even want to win that. <laughs> you know, football moves real fast. Six months later, you're in the competition itself. But, you you know, you look at these things and we saw Brendan Rodgers talking about it with Leicester. He was like, I don't even know what that is. I was like... Well, obviously you do, but okay, fine. And and you, you kind of look at these things and I actually think those kind of competitions are really good for clubs. I think look, Roma winning it was big for the competition because they're a big club and I think that's a good thing. But generally, I think when these competitions are being maybe treated a little bit more disparagingly by the giants of European competition, there are opportunities for teams to go in and make a mark. And Fulham playing the way that we are right now, I think would have a chance to really, really go deep in the Europa League. Plus, I mean, who doesn't want Lincoln Red Imps away? Yeah. Oh, look, we will take whatever we get. And as I've said for a while, if it ends up being that we finish 10th and we're nowhere near, like, that's not a, it's not a disappointment. It's just a little bit of a reality check of where Fulham are. And it's still yeah. an incredible achievement. Um, let's look ahead to Wolves on Friday. And um, Peter, it's been a funny old season for Wolves. At one point, it looked like they were absolute certainties uh, for relegation. Julian Lopetegui has come in and done a, a very, very admirable job. Picked up some brilliant wins. Uh, there was the 3-0 win against Liverpool at Molyneux. Um, there was the 2-1 win with 10 men away from home at Southampton. That was absolutely massive for them. So then to go and lose 1-0 meekly to Bournemouth at home, a team that couldn't buy a win, um, it is a bit of a blow. But this feels like a, a, a Wolves team mostly on the up, despite having a few blips um, here and there. And it was a tough test when we went to theirs in August. All I, I actually don't remember any of the match. I just remember melting um, in the in the sun. I, I actually couldn't tell you what happened in that match other than Mitrovic missing a penalty. And I don't think too much else happened besides that, really, to be honest. It, it was a really strange game, that one, wasn't it, with the heat? And I think even the tempo of the game sort of reflected it. Um, so it's hard to judge from that one, but I do agree. I mean, since even since the World Cup, I think they've only lost to United and City before the Bournemouth defeat in the league, that is. Um, Correct. So, so um, 
clearly there's been an improvement on Lopetegui. He's, he's, he's got the players on side. Um, we know the quality that they've got in that squad. I mean, it's they've with their Portuguese influence, it's, it's certainly given them an array of talent and they've just lacked that that sort of goal scorer. Obviously, they're trying with, with Cunha up front. Um, I think Jack will have a better assessment than, than I will at the moment, but it's just they just seem to need a, a Raul Jimenez to rediscover the form of old, which which just hasn't really happened um, because the rest of the team looks pretty solid all round. I mean, Craig Dawson, again, just it feels like quite a good addition for them just in terms of solidifying them at the back and also providing a goal threat. Um, <laughs> their, mid, their, their midfield is is very impressive with Neves and, and Matez Nunes, of course, uh, from Sporting. Um, really, really talented player that they picked up in him. Um, Sarabi's so, so obviously come in from, from PSG. So there's a lot of talent in that team um, and the right stewardship. They they can do better and we know that they can do better. And I suppose that applies to most of the teams in the bottom half of the table now. Um, so yeah, the, the Bournemouth result was a surprise. I haven't seen the, the highlights from that game, but Bournemouth have sort of improved their performances of late. Um, they're a different team when they have Solanke in the side. But um, I, I don't think that takes away from how much of a challenge it will be on Friday night. Um, um, what they can offer. I think the last home game was was Forest, and I remember I think there was a Wolves uh, scout or analyst who just plonked themselves next to me in the press box. I think they're in the wrong seat. Um, unfortunately, all of his notes were in Portuguese, so I have no idea what his assessment was of the Fulham team. Uh, I think one of the head like one of the subheadings was pressing, um, but that's as that's the extent of my uh, my my eavesdropping. Um, but uh, not that I was doing that. But um, yeah, uh, I think Mario Lamina will be back. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I think so. Only the one match ban. Um, he's had an impact as well. We, I think we can remember how, how much of an impact he had for Fulham, really, that, that, that bite and that passion, that heart, really, in midfield. Um, he, he, he can be a, a difference maker for them. So um, I think he'd, I imagine he'll get a warmer, warm reception as well, actually. Did um, one of the notes say Tim Ream a muito bomb? I have no idea. I can't see it sitting there staring at his notes. I don't have any problems. Um, yeah. Some quick English to Portuguese <laughs> Google Translate there. Well, that was the first thing that came to my head. Um, I don't know how my pronunciation was there. Jack's probably going to tell me it wasn't very good. No, it was fine. It was fine. Um, generally, though, I think what's been really interesting is that Wolves got done like by Bournemouth in a similar-ish way to Brighton getting done by Fulham last weekend so there's that to consider in in that i think fulham will play far more aggressively wolves like to counter that's what they want to do they're set up one lepetsky has always been a reactive manager you know and and i think this is part of why it ended so sourly for him at Sevilla, in that the Sevilla fans wanted their side to be more ball dominant they wanted them to be less reactive on the pitch and actually, it's, it's fine as long as you're winning. But as soon as results turned against the Petsky, and sometimes they do when you play like this, there was no kind of backing from the fans as to his style of football. Because much as he had credit in the bank in terms of results, they actually hadn't enjoyed that much watch it, watching the, the team play. And so as soon as those results faded, he was hounded out pretty quickly. And, and I think that's an interesting point because it's going to be a game on Friday night that suits Wolves more than the Bournemouth game did because Bournemouth wanted to sit deep and so did Wolves. And it ended up in quite a weird game where Wolves had a lot of the ball but didn't really do anything with it. And I think what, what's going to be interesting is to see how Fulham address 
that issue. As Peter says, Lamina's back, which does give them that bite in midfield. I really, really like this midfield three. Um, I think pretty much everyone does, but I think Mateusz Nunes is, is a really, really good player. And I think that he will not be at Wolverhampton Wanderers for long. I think Ruben Neves will be off in the summer as well. So it's going to be all change, I think, at Molyneux in, in many ways. But these are two excellent players and Sharmatinho has been doing it at the top level for forever. What they couldn't do against Bournemouth was get Adama Traore into the game. And actually, since his return to the side, he's still not got any... And Well, actually, I'm not going to say that because he'll score if I say that. His end product is still at points lacking. Um, but <laughs> generally, I think that... Uh, you know his his impact in terms of switching the way they play and getting them to start sort you know can sort themselves out within this Lepetsky system has been really impressive. Sarabia does have end product. He plays on the other side and drifts inside to try and take up those positions where he can get shots away. And Mateus Cunha is a really funny player. He flashes brilliance at loads of times, but I think I don't think he's a nine. I think he thinks he's a nine, but I'm not 100% sure that it's his best position. He's always kind of done best when he's played off a Murata for Atleti, when he's played in a front two in the Bundesliga. These are the you know positions that I've seen him really thrive. And for him to be playing as a solo nine with three very much centre midfielders behind him in Matinho, Neves uh, and Nunch, or Lamina if he comes back in, means that that support isn't necessarily there. And I think that's why they're struggling a bit in the final third. They've been unlucky with injuries. Obviously, Sasha Kalajic came in, who is an out-and-out nine, did his ACL straight away, missed the whole season. They brought Diego Costa in. He's sort of been around in fits and starts, but not anything to write home about. And I, I think they are, as Peter says, really lacking that focal point. But if Fulham have all the ball here and they want to play on the counter, that might just play into their hands a little bit. So I'm wary of this one. Um, Peter, speaking of number nines, um, it feels unlikely that Fulham's is going to be around on Friday. Do we know much more on that? Is that confirmed? We've kind of been seeing the two or three week mark branded about, not that anyone gives massive amounts of information when it comes to injuries, rightly so, because they want to keep that information quite close to their chest. Yeah, no, I, I, as I, 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 after Marco Silva's post-Brighton presser where he talked about a minor injury and talked about Wolves and, and, and also Leeds. I, I get the impression that he's battling to be fit for the end of this month. So I, I'd be surprised if he plays against Wolves. I'd be, I'd, I wouldn't say surprised, but I think it's unlikely to play against Leeds. Um, so, you know, especially with an in injury like a hamstring injury, that's not something you just get over quite quickly. Um, so I, I think that does pose some interesting questions for Fulham because I don't think the way Fulham set up uh, at Brighton worked at all. That's not nothing against Bobby Decker. Um, it just it's quite clear that Fulham are sort of set to play around a focal point, to play around a linking a linking number nine, a target forward. Um, and you, even even though Vinicius, you know, it doesn't offer everything that Mitrovic can do because he's Mitrovic is is one of the best at the, in the world at what he does. Um, they did feel like a different team. They they had something to go go at when they couldn't play through the press, when their passing wasn't good enough. They could go longer and they, and they knew that there was a chance it would stick. And when it did stick, they scored. Um, so it'd be really interesting to see what, what Fulham do. As it was quite a surprise really to to see Bobby Decadover replay there because Silva just hasn't varied that, varied his tactical setup at all. And I know you were talking about earlier about how Fulham had laid the seeds for 
this season in terms of their defensive play. And I completely agree with that because I feel like this this is just the other side to the system that Silva has and has been working on. And we just, because it was so dominant in the championship, we saw that. Um, but that also applies in the sense of the type of players in these kind of positions. We haven't really seen a player like Deckard Overeed as a nine. And you know, Deckard Overeed, of course, has played in an attacking position, but normally with someone mm. uh, to play around, like at Bristol City, it was, it was Jeju and, and they had quite a good relationship. Um, so it, it felt like it was a bit isolated. So it'd be interesting to see what, what he does. And I, I, considering how Vinicius affected the game um, and, and how, having that focal point and having someone to play around, then I'd, be, I'd imagine that he would, he would get the nod in that. All right, that'll do for part one. We'll be back in part two in just a second. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast and it is Sammy here and I'm joined by Hugh French from the Fulham FC Foundation. Hugh, thanks for coming on the pod. No problem. Thank you for having me. Um, So Hugh, uh, a very exciting uh, fundraising initiative by the Fulham Foundation and you got in touch with me and thought that uh, it might be something that our audience, particularly those inclined to live life on two wheels, uh, might be uh, inclined to do. Yeah, yeah. So um, this year, Fulham FC Foundation is back providing uh, fundraising events for the Fulham family in general. In May, we've got our first cycling challenge since the pandemic. So uh, taking place on the 12th and 13th of May, we have the away day cycle. Nice. Um, the challenge will start off at Craven Cottage on Friday, the 12th of May. Uh, we're very happy to announce that we'll have Les Strong, who will be on site to present the riders with their cycling jersey before they um, set off around 9am. Nice. Um, the first day will consist of a 91-mile leg, um, which meanders through Richmond Park, Bushy Park, um, the Surrey Hills area of Outstanding National Beauty, uh, and the South Downs National Park. Um, obviously, there'll be rest and recovery stops, roughly um, equal distance throughout that journey on the first day. And then that first day will end with the, all the riders staying roughly around 10 miles away from Southampton St. Mary's Stadium. Nice. Um, which will be, yeah, really good. So, um, yeah, and then that night we'll have a, an overnight stay, um, which will be included as part of the registration fee for everyone that is taking part. Um, and then the second day will be a lot less challenging with a really smooth 10-mile cycle into Southampton, uh, finishing at the stadium where all the riders will have a chance to take a few photos, um, and then head off site to kind of get changed, have a shower, go into go to the game in whatever they whatever they fancy. Hopefully a Fulham top, um, uh, and then our support team will be on hand to kind of pick up, uh, take the bikes back to Craven Cottage, and hopefully we'll all be able to watch Fulham take home three points. Yeah, a bit of a different uh, away day mode of transport. It won't be um, cans on the train or maybe uh, jumping in the back of the car. It will be cycling all the way from Craven Cottage. Um, 91 miles, that is a heck of a a leg on the first day. But um, yeah, hugely exciting. And this isn't the first time that there's been an away day cycle. I believe Bournemouth's been done as an away day cycle in the past before. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think the last one was held um, in back in 2019 where they went to Bournemouth. So yeah, it's been a, a bit of an established one. We had a lot of a lot of interest from uh, loads of members of the Fulham family asking, you know, are we going to bring it back? We love that people are so keen in getting involved with the foundation and doing a fundraising event around cycling. Um, and obviously meeting that as well with, you know, everyone going to an away day fixture as well. So we've got a few people that have signed up and it will be their first away day fixture. So probably go in with some sore legs, but um, hmm. hopefully they'll have a, a really, really great time. And we've got a good core group of 20 riders so far, and we're always looking to to grow it as because we'd love, you know, a really big showing out there of everyone uh, fundraising, supporting the foundation, but also supporting Fulham on an away day. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a really great initiative. So if people do want to join the away day cycle, um, how much uh, do they need to uh, fundraise and uh, what's the registration fee? And crucially, I uh, assume everything's on the uh, foundation website if they want to sign up. Yes, it is. So um, the registration fee is £150, but included within this is a ticket to um, an away end ticket, obviously, to the fixture. You get a personalised cycling jersey, um, a hotel room that's booked for you. Um, that will also include an evening meal and breakfast. Um, transport for you and your bikes back to Craven Cottage after the game. And you'll get a, a, an away day cycle medal for completing the challenge. Um, and we'll also throw, we've also thrown in a, a dedicated page to all the riders of the challenge in the match day programme against Crystal Palace. Once you've signed up, uh, a fundraising page on Enthuse will be automatically created for you. Um, it will have a £500 target. However, we do understand that, you know, times are tough around the country. Um, this is a target. We just urge you to, you know, try your best to achieve this. And if you can surpass it, then that's absolutely amazing. But um, it is a target, but we know that everyone will do their best to, to hit that target anyway. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, um, it sounds like a, a brilliant challenge. Not going to lie, you've got me a bit tempted. I oh, really? Got, I haven't got the uh, the bike out in a while. Oh, no, but I, I've, I did London to Brighton once. Oh, I mean, London to Southampton is a long old way. It's a long old way. It is over two days, so fear not. It is a big first day, I, I will grant that, but... <laughs> We have a load of people who are first time uh, cyclists on this event and they're all really, all really kind of keen to get involved and get into it. So we will be holding a few kind of meetups as well in, in kind of mid to late March um, for people who have signed on if they can, obviously if they can make it. Um, but yeah, no, you should definitely join up. We would, we'd love to have, you know, a representative of Fulhamish on the, on the, on the cycle. You know what? I'm going to have a think about it this week. If we beat Wolves, I'm almost, I'm, I might, I might sign up, you know, maybe just like if Fulham get three points against Wolves, I might, that might be the, uh, the clincher of whether I do it or not, Hugh. <laughs> and, uh, Hugh, is there any more details that you wanted to uh, share just before we go? So yeah, we're also looking for uh, cycling jersey sponsorship. So if, if you, if you own a small business or just want to have your company's logo on a Fulham branded cycling jersey, um, please feel free to reach out to foundationinfo at fulhamfc.com and we might be able to hope maybe get your logo on a, on a cycling jersey. Hugh, thank you so much um, for coming on and telling us about the challenge. And uh, yeah, thanks for all the great work you do with the, uh, the foundation. And uh, if you want to join the Away Day Cycle to Southampton, uh, then all the details are on the Fulham website. We'll put a link in the description of the podcast as well so that you can find all the details. Um, Hugh, uh, should be a, a great event. I'm, um, I'm going to sweat over it this week. I'll, uh, I'll let you know my answer. And um, yeah, but thank you for coming on Fulhamish and, uh, and letting us know. And um, really, really hope it's going to be uh, a big success and uh, raising lots of money for a very good cause. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. 
Part three of the Fulhamish podcast it is Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Thank you very much to Hugh from the Fulham FC Foundation about the away day cycle to Southampton. Yet to be seen whether I'm going to be roped into that one. All details, as mentioned a second ago, are in the description of this podcast. Let's get into some of your questions. This will catch on in just a second. Uh, this first one is from Tim Miller. He says, having dispensed with Brighton and Nottingham Forest, we've now clocked up a double-double. It got me thinking, how many more doubles could we do this season? There are five more to choose from Brentford, Leeds, Leicester, Southampton and Palace. And can one of your statos tell me the number to beat the current Fulham record in the top flight? Uh, I'm not sure what the uh, record is or the top of my head, Tim. Uh, I imagine there will be someone, though, that can do the maths on that. Let's be honest, it's probably going to be uh, Chris Frank of Cottage Analytica, our resident uh, person to give us answer for stats questions. But yeah, Jack, um, two doubles in a row is quite a nice feeling. How many more? can we do before the end of the season? Read it out again, the list of people we could do. Brentford, Leeds, Leicester, Southampton and Palace. I think you look at those and you think Leeds at home, Leicester, who probably will be just about safe, Palace, who will probably be just about safe at the cottage. I think you're looking at really a, Minimum of three if we're looking to challenge these European spots, aren't we? I, I think yeah. you're looking at three, four would be brilliant. Let's hope it's the one at Legoland. Um, that that would be yes. good. If we if we can win at Legoland, that'd be great. And I would enjoy that. If it's only one and it's the Brentford one, I'll probably, probably take it. Yeah, I'd take Brentford above all of them. But yeah, we should be probably aiming to two or three more. Um, it is uh, a lovely feeling when you do the double over a team, isn't it? And it's been nice to do that uh, a couple of weekends on the trot. Um, Georgie Brook uh, has delved into the stats here and says, Hi all, I hope you are well and do not mind the surprise email. Love the podcast. I'm a Fulham fan of some 45 years living in Australia and loving the season. I have been working on a theory since the Spurs away game and it keeps proving almost true. I think that it is such a clear and clean pattern so far that is at least worth commenting on and monitoring. We beat or drew with those below us, lose marginally to those above us. The only outlier is the West Ham game, which had two dodgy goals, which ruined the perfect pattern. We have played 17 games against the teams below us, averaging 2.24 points per game. If we continued this pattern in our remaining games, we'll finish on 62 points. That has been good enough for fifth or sixth in nine of the 10 last seasons. I cannot believe how clear those results are. And he's also attached uh, a table as well. Um, I mean, more just of a point here, really. I mean, I guess it's something we have noticed, which is how good we are against the teams below us, Peter. But it is... It is remarkably clean the way that Fulham's results have have gone against those teams below us. I think it's maybe now 10 or so games in a row against teams below us where we've avoided defeat. It is just such a good record. Yeah, really efficient. Um, I think I think it's the other 14 table and Fulham are basically top, I suppose. Um, must be. Must be top. Um, and yeah, the, the table does look clean. I think Soccer Stats website also has that where they have it very neatly and two columns and it does look very nice just not having well having the one little bit of red which is actually quite annoying but the rest of it does look very good um and he's right i mean it's it's like we said before if you can repeat that continue that trend then then top seven finish is, is certainly on i suppose the only thing the only thing is that obviously mitrovic is out at the moment they've got to adapt to that and then you've also got palina on the verge of a two-match ban which looks like it'll happen at some point mm. um so again, that those two are so, so important that 
you know, as much as there is, op- there are options and it's not like, you know, Fulham can't win without Mitrovic. We've seen that's five times Fulham have won without Mitrovic now, without him scoring, I think. I think yeah. in five, yeah, that's right. Uh, they've won a couple of games with him, without him altogether as well. Um, I feel like Pelina is almost a bigger influence now in that midfield um, for with what he brings. So, yeah, that'd be a moment to see what Sasa Lukic can bring, obviously a different player entirely, and it would change the makeup of that midfield. But um, it'd be a good test to see what the what the depth options are like and how Fulham can adapt their, their play. Yeah, there's a question here, Jack, which um, perfectly brings me on to this, Peter, from Tom Burrows. He says, hi, lads. Obviously an amazing win on the weekend. Very few complaints about a man who is clearly one of our best and most important managers ever. However, Tom's one complaint would be often his unwillingness to use the squad options he has uh, with time to go. Um, I think he's maybe talking about maybe how long it's taking Man of Solomon to get in, et cetera, et cetera. But Tom Burrows says the situation with Lukic is more pressing in my eyes. He's barely played so far, but surely he needs minutes and fast to get used to the team slash system. Polinia will soon be suspended for two games. Does Silva not need to find time to do this? I think it's actually a very good point from Tom that we do need to start getting Sasa Lukic some minutes because all of a sudden he's going to be thrust into two games in a row in the Premier League. Yeah, I, th- I think that's spot on. I think he needs to be ingratiated into this side. Obviously, you don't want to break up a winning formula, and I completely understand that and appreciate that from Marco Silva. But with Polinia teetering on the edge of this, you kind of need to get him settled into the patterns and stuff. I would be surprised if we don't see a little bit more of him in the Wolves game. Um, I don't necessarily think he'll start, but I think that we will see 25, 30 minutes unless something goes drastically wrong from Sasha Lukic in this Wolves game. And I think that that should probably start to filter through as we, as we sort of head in towards March. He'll play against Leeds in the cup, won't he? Like he just will. He'll start yeah. against Leeds in the cup. And also I feel like Silva's only missed one opportunity to play him. He did give him a few minutes against um, Forrest, which was the first opportunity he had to play Sasa Lukic. He didn't play him against Brighton, but as we know, that was a pretty difficult game and not one that you necessarily, he, he needed to stem the bleeding or he needed to try and contain the game. It wasn't a, mo- a game for giving people minutes willy nilly. Uh, and so, yeah, I think if he plays against Wolves, if he plays 90 against Leeds, then we should be getting there and fine. Obviously you'd like someone to have a few more minutes before being thrust into uh, the competitiveness of the Premier League, but it also hasn't let Sakasa Lukic didn't play in the World Cup, or didn't play minutes for Torino, et cetera, et cetera, this season. Um, final email before we do this, we'll catch on. Really like this from Ben Simmons. He says, hi, love the pod. I've been going to the cottage since maybe 1993. Although the first match I remember was the John Marshall testimonial against Wimbledon in 98. I think we lost 2-1, but it was exciting days as we were just about to start moving through the divisions. He says, when he decided to support Fulham in 97, it made sense as he'd been going on the odd occasion before that. But I also learned later that my dad, my nan, and even my great granddad used to go. So you could say it runs in the family. So the story goes that on a match day, and this was probably sometime between 1910 and 1930, my great granddad used to ask for a farthing from his dad. He'd then try and bunk into Craven Cottage by walking to the riverside in Bishop's Park and then climbing along the wall where the riverside stand is now to get into the stadium. The farthing was only meant to pay the boatman if he fell in the river. Um, when he told my dad, probably sometime in the seventies, he had to try it himself and still managed to get in the same way. Although there was no boatman by this point to save you anymore. Um, he said, just thought I'd share it with the pod and thanks from Ben. Um, I didn't realize there used to be boatmen just hanging around in the Thames to save stray swimmers. 
Um, and well, then, then they charge a farthing for the privilege of rescuing you and saving your life. <laughs> it's probably quite a profitable venture, to be fair. Loads of Egypt chucking themselves in the river at times. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you know, it's, it's one of those where they still did the same thing in, in, in those days when I'm like, if Dennis Adoy scores here, we're in the Thames. Um, you know, maybe they were doing that with their fullbacks, you know, when they were back playing the WM system or a two, three, five, they're like the center half scores today. We have to go for a dip. So we'll see, we'll see how it, um, it pays out. But yeah, I mean, what a story. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Ben, for, for sharing uh, a bit of what it was like to support, follow Fulham and a hundred years ago where you needed to have a fathering, fathering in case you fell in the tens. <laughs> right. Um, let's go on to this little catch on. Um, there's a few entries here that I want to get through today. Uh, Peter's absolutely been tickled by that one. Uh, Hugo Brown says, hi there, Fulhamish, massive fan of the pod. Just spent the last three hours making this Laven Kazawa song to the track of September by Earth, Wind and Fire. Would would greatly appreciate if you could have a listen and let me know what you think. And that's many thanks from Hugo. So uh, here is his entry. Yeah, for my number three. <laughs> Do you remember the day you walked in in September? What a season so far to remember, but let's forget Crawley away. <laughs> Marco was ringing as the hammy end was singing As you danced on Mosper, remember As you stole our hearts away Laving Kazawa Loves an F.A. Cop called Kazawa He's bringing the cop on Kazawa He's taking us to Amblin <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I had me at yeah for my number three. <laughs> it's very, very good, isn't it? Oh, excellent. Very really good. good. Really, really good. Um, Honestly, that opening, opening, winning combination. that opening sent me. I was like, I'm gone. See ya. That's done. It's so good, isn't it? Right. Next one from Louis Pearl says, hi, guys. Love the pod. I sent this chant in a while ago and it never got aired. Unfortunately, I am very sorry, Louis. He said, I still can't believe we don't have a chant for the best centre back in the Premier League and thought Tim Ream deserved his own. Uh, thanks, guys. Um, uh, so he sent it through. It's nice and short and sweet. Uh, it certainly does the trick. Come on, Tim Ream, better than VVD in this moment. Are Yank Mountini or at your best when you're beating the press? Almost 40. Oh, come on, Tim Ream. <laughs> you're at your best when you're beating the press is absolutely sensational. <laughs> that is remarkable. Very good, isn't it? Very good. Yeah. Well done. Excellent. Well done, Louis. Love that. I don't know if uh, Tim Ream will take too well to being called almost 40. He's 35. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's covered by the fact that he's got to be Yank Maldini, though. So, you know, Yank Maldini, yeah, like that. 
I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. Will it catch on? Not 100% sure. I guess we've kind of got a, it's not a ream charm, but we do just go ream, which I think is better than any charm. If I, if I was a player, I'd love to have a, a ream or a steed whenever you did something good. That must just be the best feeling ever uh, for Tim Ream. Uh, final one from our friend Marisa Cardoni. Um, she's a regular on This Will Catch On. Um, and, and this is sensational. Um, it's, uh, the subject is a new song for Willian. And Marisa says, hi, thought he needed something better than the Liverpool charm. So here's my take. Uh, she has used Bar Barbaran from the Beach Boys uh, for We're Willian. Um, nice. And it's absolutely sensational. I mean, remarkable, as you say, remarkable. 10 out of 10. I don't think it's going to catch on. It's got too many parts. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Good to, you know, give them to different stands. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) imagine. You can't keep one stand in time or tune, never mind a couple of them. But, I mean, yeah, Marisa's unbelievable. So, fair play. Multi-track Marisa just loves nothing more than a multi-track. Yeah, um, multi-track recordings. This will catch on Unbelievable. Entry. Yeah. Unreal. It's Unreal. so good. It's so good. I mean, look, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Beach Boys, football chants. It doesn't feel like a match made in heaven. No, I don't think so. Then, look, it's fantastic. Willian definitely does need a good song because uh, he is uh, a bit of a a bit of a hero at the moment. So yeah, love it. Thank you very much for all your This Will Catch On submissions. Hello at fullamish.co.uk if you want to send them in, put them as an attachment. Uh, always hugely appreciated by me. Uh, makes it quicker for me to do them. And uh, any more emails, hello at fullamish.co.uk. Uh, that'll do for the podcast today. Thank you very much to my guest, Jack Collins. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sammy. It's been a real pleasure. And Peter Ratzer, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. As always, a lot of fun. All right. We'll be back uh, on Sunday uh, reviewing Friday night's uh, Wolves game and we'll be looking ahead to the Leeds game, which is in the FA Cup in just under a week's time. Until then, have a great weekend, whatever you're doing, and fingers crossed we can make it three in a row on Friday. Come on, you whites. Sound the horn, you whites.